0: Today on Blue 58, the Packers hung tough on a wild weather day to move to 8-2. How'd they do it? By any means necessary. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdick. Happy to be coming uh, coming to you after another Packers victory. 8-2 and two feels pretty good, but what happened in this one? Well, as I said in the introduction, I think this one was one of those games where the Packers had to win by any means necessary. There was a lot to overcome in this one, starting with a pretty strong opponent. The Carolina Panthers are no slouch organization here. They came in at a very legit five and three, a quarterback who's not making a lot of mistakes, an MVP candidate running back, a great pass rush, overall pretty solid defense. This was going to be a tough test and the Packers took care of business. The Packers also were able to overcome the weather. Now, the weather isn't an excuse, but it is a factor that both teams have to deal with, and the Packers were able to deal with it pretty well in this one. Uh, It wasn't necessarily always pretty. Their drives were not necessarily as crisp as they could have been, uh, but they overcame, and they didn't let the weather keep them down entirely. They did seem to be in a better position to deal with things than the Panthers were. The Packers also were able to overcome their own mistakes. They got out of their own way just as quickly as they got in their own way. And that's that may be damning with faint praise, but the Packers were able to overcome the mistakes that they made early on. There were a couple drives derailed by penalty or all but derailed by penalty. And that's something that's been a concerning trend with the Packers going back over the course of this season. There have been multiple times when we've seen a a series of false start penalties or a hold followed by a false start or just one hold or a couple holds in a row. That sort of continued in this one, but it didn't sink the Packers, though it could have a couple times. That's encouraging to see. The Packers also were comfortable just sitting back and leaning on Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Now total, they only got 26 carries, but considering the Packers only called a, called fewer than 60 plays in this one, 26 is not too bad. Sure, maybe a few more could have gone to Aaron Jones, but it looked like the Packers were trying very consciously to manage the amount of snaps he took in this one. Then there was one play and this is probably nothing, but he looked pretty like he was walking pretty gingerly heading back to the huddle. We're getting to the point of the season where you start to wonder about guys wearing down a little bit. The Packers seem to have been pretty careful with uh, their team's health so far this year. That may have been a factor in this one as well. It may not have been. It may not have been anything at all. But uh, I think it was interesting to see uh, how evenly things split out between Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. All told, the running game did quite well in this one, though. That was a big factor in the Packers' win, one that we'll talk about here more in just a second. But why did this happen? Why did this game turn out the way it did? Sometimes games are as much about what you can't do as what you can do, and figuring out what you can't do in the course of a game, reacting to that, and putting together things that you can do I think is something that separates just okay teams from really good teams. And at times, the Packers have not been able to figure things out when things haven't been going well. All the way back to week one, the Packers had real trouble with the with the Chicago Bears early on. And Matt LaFleur said, yeah, I pretty much had to abandon the script like six plays in. And things were not working for a long time, but eventually they got to a point where they got comfortable with what was going on and they were able to get enough offense together that uh, that they could come away with the win. That kind of feels like the way things went today. But let's talk first about what the Packers couldn't do today and how that played a factor in, in this overall win. One big thing they couldn't do was really string together long drives. The Packers only had three drives today of longer than six plays. It felt like they were out of rhythm all afternoon. Penalties played a factor in that. The weather played a factor in that. Poor execution in phases of the passing game played a factor in that. All of those things kind of add up to a a game where it's hard to get in rhythm and have extensive drives. The Packers did score when they crossed that six-play threshold, but they didn't got, get there as often as you would like to have seen them. They just weren't picking up first downs, whatever they weren't doing. It's, it's, it's football. We all understand what they weren't doing. They weren't, weren't getting the ball down the field. Um, it's frustrating to see four-play drive, five-play drive, a first down early on and then immediately it peters out. That's frustrating to see. I'm sure it's frustrating for the team as well. But that was a big struggle for the Packers in this one. The Packers also failed, I think, pretty significantly or at least consistently, uh, to finish in the pass rush. Despite feeling like they were in Kyle Allen's grill most of the afternoon, they only finished with three sacks. It could have been twice that amount. It could have been eight sacks, but they didn't finish regularly. But they did do some other good things that helped them overcome both of those things that they couldn't do. First, let's talk about running the football. Like I said, um, not a ton of individual attempts were either Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams, but they were effective when each of them got the ball, and they still made up a pretty hefty percentage of the Packers' overall play calls. They still called fewer runs than they did passes. That's something that you may be able to critique Matt Lafleur for in this one, and you don't know what the, what the situation was with audibles and stuff like that too. Uh, but the Packers only ended up running the ball 26 times. That that may not sound like a lot, but as a percentage of their overall plays, it's pretty high, especially considering uh, that, that neither of their backs carried the ball more than 13 times. But I think this represents a pretty balanced attack for the Packers. I don't view balance as just having the same Number of runs as you do passes. I think balance is more a philosophical concept. You have to be able to do both of those things on your offense well enough that your defense, the defense you're facing, has to respect both. So if you're capable of running or passing to an equally efficient degree, I think then you have a balanced offense. Not just because you're running the same amount of runs as passes. If your passing game is awful, and your running game is great, it doesn't make sense to call the same amount of runs as passes. If your passing game is great, and your run game is but, just running for the sake of having that, that so-called balanced play calling is foolish. The Packers were efficient on the ground in this game, and probably could have called more runs, but they, they didn't have to because they were efficient enough when uh, when they were called, that they weren't necessarily taking away from their passing game either. That's a pretty balanced attack to me. The Packers also did a great job in this one of collecting explosive plays. Sure, they couldn't string together those 8, 9, 10 play drives regularly. But they were moving the ball in big chunks. By my count, they had at least 9 explosive plays in this one. That would be the second most they've had all season in a single game, tied for the second most. They had 12 back in their game against the Raiders. It was encouraging to see that they got these plays both running and passing and as we know there is a high correlation between explosive plays and scoring and getting 24 points thanks in part to some of those explosive plays on a weather day like today playing an opponent where they may be a little limited in some aspects of their attack is a pretty good number to get to. 24 points will get you a long way in those situations. The Packers were also able, I felt, to bother Kyle Allen without getting sacks. Now, I would like to have seen them finish a few more of those sacks. There was one play early on in the game where Kyle Allen absolutely destroyed Zadarius Smith. You will get razzed in film study this week to probably an extensive degree, Uh, but he made him look pretty silly. And that happened another time to Darnell Savage, too the packers were having trouble finishing those shots on Kyle Allen when they got to him but they also hit him 9 times according to the NFL game stats and information service um, they piled up 9 quarterback hits today that's their most in, in the last couple weeks i don't have a full season worth of context to put on this one but against the chargers they hit philip rivers 7 times uh 9 uh, six times excuse me Against the Chiefs, they hit Matt Moore seven times, and against the Raiders, they were not able to hit Derek Carr at all. So getting to Kyle Allen nine times in that way is still pretty good. It's not a sack, but you are still putting some sort of physical punishment on the quarterback, and that's never a bad thing. What does this win mean? Well, it moves the Packers to 8-2, and two, and wins are always good. Getting eight of them in a season is great. Getting eight of them in the first 10 games of the season is outstanding. This win allowed the Packers to maintain their cushion in the NFC North, which is important since Minnesota beat Dallas tonight, staying a game behind the Packers. Just can't get us to, to win the same week as the Vikings lose. Thems the breaks. Also of note, with the Saints losing, the Packers are now tied with the Saints for the two-seed in the NFC. Now, I'm not sure if that holds. I'm not sure if the Packers are a team that's going to be good enough Over these last six games of the season, to earn that bye week in the playoffs, but right now they are in position to do so. And if the playoffs are about controlling your own destiny, the Packers are on the path to do just that as far as reaching a bye in the playoffs. That's not a bad place to be. What happens next? The Packers go on their bye week. It is a good time to go on a bye. It seems like kind of a truism that uh, whenever a team goes on a bye, they desperately need it. I don't know if the Packers are desperate, but they could stand to, uh, to spend a little time getting some guys healthy. The Packers also have a tough stretch of games here down the stretch. They've got to play San Francisco. They've got to go on the road against the Vikings and the Lions. Three of these next six games for sure are going to be pretty difficult. They're going to be challenging. And it's nice to have a little bit of time now for the Packers to sit back and do a little bit of preparation for these games. Finally, it's felt like this team has uh, been in need of a little decompression for a while. They had a stretch there where they were at Kansas City, at Los Angeles, and now a big game at home against a tough opponent going into a bye week. That's three pretty intense situations in a row. And as we saw last week in Los Angeles, sometimes that uh, you can get to a point where you're starting to believe things about yourself that maybe you shouldn't. Aaron Rodgers alluded to that in his post-game press conference last week. He said maybe maybe the Packers were reading their own press clippings a little bit too much. I don't know if that's true or not, but it is at least nice to have a little bit of time away from game prep and all that, to really think about what you need to be doing, where you need to be heading into this final month and a half of the season. And now the Packers have the opportunity to do that. I think that's a pretty good place for them to be. Here's some random thoughts about this game. Um, Just a couple things I wanted to talk about. First, um, it seems like Aaron Rodgers has been more willing in the past couple weeks to take shots down the field, just giving his receivers a chance to make a play. He did it a couple times in this one. Uh, a couple to Devontae Adams had great results. A couple to another a, another couple receivers did not go quite so well. Um, I think it's interesting to see Aaron Rodgers play this way. This is not something that he's done really a lot before. He's never been a 50-50 ball thrower type quarterback, and that's fine. I think there's, there's good reason to not be, but... Um, It is interesting to see him adopt that into his play style a little bit. And there have been some good results at times too. And I think in a better weather game, there may have been even more good outcomes for the Packers in this one. But also on Aaron Rodgers, he had some uncharacteristic bad misses that have become a tad bit more characteristic over the past couple of seasons. There was a a bad sequence to the Packers down near the goal line Uh, At the end of the first half, it was the the series where they attempted ultimately to go forward on fourth and goal and uh, couldn't convert there, went into halftime, getting no points, ultimately setting themselves up to be within a score of the the Panthers at the end of the game. But that is neither here nor there at this point because they got the win. But after a false start on first and goal, uh, Aaron Rodgers had a play where he threw the ball out of the back of the end zone a tad early just as Alan Lazard was breaking open. So there's a miss. Uh, then on second and goal, Jimmy Graham scores a touchdown, but actually he doesn't. It gets overturned because he dra- he failed to drag his left foot. Uh, then on third and goal, Aaron Rodgers missed Geronimo Allison underneath, trying to go to Alan Lazard at the back of the end zone, whom he also missed. Just an, an unusual sequence from Aaron Rodgers, who is normally, historically, one of the best red zone passers that has ever lived. It was uh, unusual to see, and I'm not really sure what to make of it, other than just bring it up for you guys uh, to make you aware of it or or see what your thoughts are about it. Um, It it was a tad tad concerning. Everything that happens in this game, this particular game, I I don't mean like the game of football as a whole, this game the Packers playing against um, the Panthers, does come with a bit of an asterisk because of the weather, I think. But this isn't the first time we've seen Aaron Rodgers just flat-out miss throws this year either. As good as he's been this season, there have been times where he's missed guys that are open. And people have pointed this out over the past couple seasons. Some of the time, I think it has merit. Other times, it doesn't. But this was a a, a game where it felt like the Packers could have put some things away had Aaron Rodgers hit a couple of those, throw, those throws. I still think he's an extremely accurate quarterback, the big deep shot to Devontae Adams where he just dropped the ball right past the the Panthers' defender, right past his ear hole, almost right through his arms to Devontae Adams. It was an absolute thing of beauty. Uh, and perfectly thrown, perfectly accurately thrown. But other times it just didn't seem to be there for Rodgers. That was a little bit unusual and I'm not quite sure what to make of it. Another thing I'm not sure what to... What significance to, to give to, or I don't know, I think you understand what I'm trying to say. How much weight should I put on this? I'm not sure. But it seems like as a, on the whole this year, the Packers have not had great playing conditions when they've been at home. Lambeau Field Turf is usually a thing of wonder. Just immaculately maintained, perfectly green all the time, and just great for players to play on. But this year, that hasn't seemed to be the case. Regularly, if there's even just a slight bit of moisture on the field, the Lambeau Field turf just seems to turn into an ice skating rink, and people are just sliding all over the place. Jimmy Graham fell down on a route in this game. Uh, Tyler Lancaster got washed out of a play because he fell down. he, He looked like he was on skates. I think Aaron Jones fell down on a route at one point. It just happens again and again and again. And it's unusual to see given how good the playing surface usually is at Lambeau Field. It hasn't necessarily seemed to be that way this year. And again, there could be reasons for that that I I don't fully understand, but it is odd to see. Finally, we'll leave you with this. Andy Herman, uh, formerly of Cheesehead TV, now of uh, the Packer Report, Total up the, the numbers for the receivers not named Devontae Adams after this game. It's not looking good, folks. Uh, in the last three weeks combined, Jake Kumaro has four catches for 71 yards. Alan Lazard has 11 catches for 113. Geronimo Allison, six for 34. And Marquez Valdez-Scantling, perhaps the most disappointing of all, just one catch for four yards in the past three weeks combined. All told, Packers wide receivers not named Devontae Adams have totaled 22 catches for 218 yards and no touchdowns. And even grouping Devontae Adams into that collection, the Packers wide receivers have not caught a touchdown since the Oakland game, when they caught a lot of them, to be fair. This is becoming a little bit of a trend, and this is something that we've talked about fairly regularly on this podcast. The Packers are Not a team that have a lot of receivers that can win one on one matchups. I would not be terribly concerned with any one individual receiver on the Packers other than Devontae Adams if I was an opposing defensive coordinator. They're not going to beat you by virtue of their skill. They're gonna beat you with positioning and second reaction plays. A couple of uh, Helen Lazard had a couple of those tonight. To great effect, It, it should be noted. But the Packers are relying on scheme to get these guys open, and they really haven't gotten open super regularly. And when they are getting the ball, it's not going for great chunks of yardage. The Packers are going to need to add a little bit of talent to their pass-catching group. I don't think that should be a super controversial opinion. Even if you think these guys are really good, and I do to an extent. I'm still a Marquez Valdez-Scantling fan despite the the recent evidence, I guess you can say. I like Alan Lazard. I like Jay Kummerow for the things that he can do. But I don't, I don't think saying that you like those guys has to necessarily mean that you don't think they can also add talent to their receiver group or to their tight ends. Both of those things can be true. It's our old friend Captain Two Thoughts. You can think about two things at the same time. You can think... Yeah, I like some of these young receivers on the Packers, but you can also think it would be great if they could add a few more, even just one more. That doesn't have to be a slight against those guys. And I think we can have this conversation in a productive way, and we'll try to have that conversation over the next couple of weeks as the Packers get ready for the stretch run Uh in these final six games of the season. Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you like what you heard, I will just ask you tonight to leave a rating and review on the podcast listening app of your choice. It does help more people find the show. In the meantime, if you've got questions or thoughts or feedback or things you want to talk about, drop us a line wherever you can, Facebook, Twitter, email, you can find us. Doing that will help us further our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.